Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. This is John Stolnes from the Felsky Files, thegoodfight.com, and numberfire.com. And you're listening to Jeff and Len on the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show. everybody it is that time of the week and thank you for joining us here at the philadelphia sports table podcast show the longest running weekly philly sports podcast show in the world grateful you can join us and i am still getting over my voice just completely losing it and having it gone from the eagles winning the super bowl this week it is still hard to believe that this is a reality, that the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. I'm Jeff Warren, and as always, I'm here with my buddy, Len Hunsicker. Man, how you how you feeling at this point, Len? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording. I And you know, we both agree. I mean, it's still, and I don't know when it fully sinks in, but it's still, like, it, it still doesn't feel real. Like, I, I and I know it happened, and I I just, maybe, maybe it's, you know, after the parade or or whatever, but you know, it just, it doesn't quite feel real yet. I don't know what I'm going to watch next week. Maybe I'm still going to watch Eagles highlights. I have been on a constant (laughs) watching Len of highlights from the Super Bowl. I've actually watched the Super Bowl again. All I keep watching on YouTube are Eagles videos throughout the season, Eagles videos throughout the playoffs, and then the Super Bowl. And I'm trying not to talk as much because, man, holy cow, this voice of mine was completely gone a couple days ago. I don't know if people heard the Table Talk show from this past week. Took a little break from talking about Philly sports, and we were promoing another podcast uh, called Business Wars. But, uh, man, I could barely get through that. I literally had to do about six different takes to get what you oh, all wow. heard on the beginning of the Table Talk show. My voice was just completely gone. So, Len, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know how to feel still. I really don't know how to feel because, it, like you said, I don't think it's really sunk in yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, uh, obviously still elated. But, but, yeah, I mean, it just – it's still, like – I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm still fully waiting for it to, to, you know, cause I still like, you know, you, you think about, you know, championship years and you know, I'm, I'm going back to, I keep going back to 2008. It's like, no, you got, you actually have to put 2018 in there now. Like yeah. it's, it's, you know, you, you, there's no, you know, like 10 year thing anymore. There's just, no, they, they literally just won one like, like 
a couple days ago. <laughs> exactly. So it's just like, oh, yeah. Um, so it, it just it, – it's it's so strange. Yeah. Well, if you haven't checked out our Eagles postgame podcast show yet, head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. You can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. Get that Eagles postgame podcast show, that Super Bowl podcast uh, or a postgame podcast show, and you can listen to our raw emotions, the excitement, the shock, everything that we were feeling at that moment a couple hours after the Eagles had won Super Bowl 52. Check out that show. And Len, I think we got to get into We're, of course, going to be talking about the Super Bowl. We got some emails from listeners and stuff like that. But uh, can you tell everybody what we're going to be uh, talking about on this on the show this week? Yeah, uh, well, obviously, we're going to start off brief news and views um, with, you know, um, continued Eagles Super Bowl talk, continuing to reflect on it. We're going to have some listener emails about, um, you know, what this Eagles win meant to, you know, in, the individuals uh, that wrote in and those closest to them. Um, we have a take it or leave it uh, segment um, coming from uh, Jesus, and that is <laughs> Nick Foles is the greatest quarterback in Eagles history. Um, <laughs> he's, I, I mean, at least got to be part of that conversation yeah, yeah. now, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we have uh, a couple baseball stories and is an MLB tank tax on the way. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about um, – Mark Appel, who the Phillies traded for, um, first num- number one overall pick, stepping away from baseball, at least for the time being. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. And then we, uh, Brian Elliott, he's been streaky for the Flyers so far. Uh, so we're going to be getting into that a little bit as well. Um, we have our up or down segment. And then on the table, uh, we're going to be talking about some in-depth issues about the Sixers season with uh, Brent Suter from uh, fanside at the sixersense.com. Yep, it's going to be a great show. Stick around for everything, all you Philly sports fans. We are going to start our brief news and views segment right now. Got to continue to reflect on this Eagles Super Bowl win. Brief news and views, here we go. And now, this week on Brief News and Views. I uh, uh, was thinking, Len, this past week, or these past couple days, I should say, just uh, you know what it what it means to me. I, I I shot a text off to my uncle Jack. I, in fact, I had mentioned him on the post game show that we did yeah. up at uh, Penn State, and I shot him off a text and I uh, said to my uncle Jack, I mean, I said this is it. I said you have been waiting your entire life for this moment, and I said you know congratulations, we absolutely deserve this, and he said. I just can't believe it happened. I'm 70 years old. I honestly didn't think that I was going to see this Philadelphia Eagles organization bring a Lombardi trophy back to the city of Philadelphia where it's going to be displayed at Lincoln Financial Field. And he was just, I could tell from his text that he was probably tearing up. And Len, yeah. I, I don't know. Have you have you had any conversations with any family members, any any other you know friends outside of our group of friends about just really what this meant to them? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I talked to my dad about it, um, and, and and it was uh, a lot more of of kind of you know talking about the game, um, you know, than than anything else. But you know, different things that you know that could have happened. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it was um, my dad that I had the conversation with. Yeah. Getting to, into some emails that we received uh, in the in the past, you know, 72 hours or so, wanted to read a few of them here. Just people talking about what the Philadelphia Eagles mean to them, what the Super Bowl win means to them. We had Aldo Esposito. He said, for me, I became a fan 
And it's demonstrated by a photo that I attached here to the email. And he attached a photo of himself, Len, of he and his father with the 1960 Eagles championship team. And he said, the little kid kneeling next to Sonny Jurgensen is me. And my dad is right to the right. And in the pick, as you can see, there are a number of Philadelphia Eagles players. And even though I've since left the Philly area 40 years ago, I still bleed green, as does one of my grown sons who lives in New England, said, uh, it's something that I will never forget. So uh, with Aldo, you know, he, he's one of those guys where it's been with him. Ever the older gentleman has been with him ever since he was a kid from that 1960 team. I could not imagine, Len, going as long as Aldo has gone, thinking, am I going to ever see a Super Bowl? Seen a 1960 championship, but a Super Bowl not knowing, but now he's finally got it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's an incredible thing to to go that long in and just kind of wonder. Um, and and that that photo was so cool. Um, it was yeah. of him with uh, with with Sonny Jurgensen. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, I mean, we you know are you know I guess you would qual- qualify us as middle aged men now. We're yeah. we're both yeah. in our forties, um, and, and you know it's it, it's felt like forever for us. So, you know, what do you think it's felt like for somebody that's actually, you know, been, you know, here the whole time since 1960, you know, waiting, um, you know, and that's, you know, goes back to my dad was born in 49, you know, your, your uncle Jack is 70, you know? So, I mean, just that long amount of time, I, I can't imagine what that way was like. Exactly. And then we had, uh, we had Matt write us and he said, uh, Uh, I've been listening to the podcast and loving it for several years. Helps me getting my Philly sports fix all the way up here in New Hampshire. I even convinced my dad to start listening. He said the reason for the email is not just to address how amazing this game was, especially surrounded by Patriots fans as I watch it up north here. I was lucky enough 10 years ago to have a special moment watching Brad Lidge throw the last strike while allowing the Phillies to win the World Series with my dad in the basement of our house. He fondly remembers the moment that uh, uh, he would reminisce about and how special it was watching a championship. He said, although I was born and raised in Virginia, I've been a lifelong Philly sports fan due to my father growing up in Philly. I was unable to watch it with him, but my brother and dad actually traveled to Philly. They booked a room so that my dad could watch the game in his home city. I'm thrilled and moved to think about not just the memory that was created for my dad, but countless other fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, and best friends throughout Eagles Nation. So, Matt, thanks so much for uh, uh, writing in about you know what it's meant to you and your family. And, 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 and that's really what a lot of these emails that we did get, Len, it all comes down to family. It all comes down to this bond that you have, you know, fathers and sons, like Matt said, mothers and daughters, uh, uh, that bond of family gets that much stronger when your sports team wins a championship. I mean, we're seeing it here. Yeah. And, and Matt actually is uh, Aldo's son, correct? I believe so. I think so. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and, and that is, that's cool that, that, that both of them were, were able to write in. Um, yeah. I, and, and that's the thing. And that's, Really, I mean, I think where where pretty much most people get their fandom from is exactly. is their parents. I mean, you know, it's, it's your first influence. It's the first people that shape you. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, really, in, unless you're one of those people that goes rogue from your family, uh, in in which case, you know, uh, you should be disowned. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it, 
yeah, I think it's only natural. Even if you do, like in Matt's case, if you grow up really in Virginia, you grow up outside of that, that Philadelphia area, you know, if you have someone that you know, has that fandom, yeah, that, that is what's going to mold you. And, and that's, you know, that, that bond is, is um, you know, one of those things that is really going to take you, you know, throughout your life, you know, you get older, you get different responsibilities, people have different things going on in their life, but that is the one thing, you know, you can always kind of circle back to. Exactly. I also received a text from a listener of ours. Her name is Julie. And she said throughout the week or since the Super Bowl, she said, I have been laughing. I have been crying. Every single emotion possible is going through my body. And basically, uh, in in so many words, said this this win just means so much to all of us Eagles fans who have been dedicated, who have been believing in this team for as many years as we have. And it has not wavered. And then we had our good friend Simon write us from Australia. He said, uh, you guys wanted us to chime in with an email here so here goes and that was this was from the uh post game show that we did we had asked some people chime in over email and uh he said for me and the people that i've connected with it was uh, my good friend tom whittle who lives in south philly he messaged me right after the game and i called him straight away i met tom in the summer of 2002 just outside of philadelphia He took me to my first Phillies game at the vet and has been there to watch me turn into this diseased Eagles fan that I am today. He's the guy I stay with anytime I stop through Philadelphia. And he also went on to say, thank you, Jeff and Len, for what you guys do on this podcast. As I'm not local, it's a blessing to be able to get this content on a weekly basis because it's still so crazy to think that a guy from Melbourne, Australia, can meet up with some guys from Pennsylvania and be friends all because of mutual love of some local sports teams. So uh, he wrote up, Simon wrote a lengthy email, and he's been a good friend of our show for years, but... uh, uh, we do have another email that we're actually going to get to next week, and it's from a gentleman named Doug. So we're gonna we're gonna put that off until next week. But we want to thank you all for shooting off your emails to us. We want to thank you for letting us know what it meant to you. And inevitably, again, Len, it's all about family. It's all about that concept and notion of Eagles Nation really just coming out on top, being victorious. And a lot of it is that we still don't know how to react. <laughs> we really don't because we've been waiting. Yeah. For it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it really is a strange thing. Um, only thing I would say is, uh, Simon, I don't know if diseased is, is the word anymore Ooh. as far as being an Eagles fan. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> y- we can, we can shed that, that, uh, portion of our psyche. I think, yep. I, I yep. think it's, it's a new day and it's a different day. And it's, uh, I, I mean, look, I don't want to get ahead of myself because, um, as I said, like when we were going up um, to, to meet up for the game, I uh, had Brian, who was um, on our on our post game show with us, riding in the car with me, and he was very serene in terms. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I, I have a, a feeling of peace and calm about this game." I well, I was the complete opposite. I was a basket case, and, yes. and my yeah. argument to him was like, "You have to win here because there's no guarantee you're getting back, and the Eagles are." Ex- extremely well set up for the future. So if they were back and deep making deep playoff runs year after year, possibly winning another one or two, it wouldn't surprise me, but, um, but you know, we, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed, but I mean, the, the greater likelihood here is this may not be the last time. Uh, honestly, uh, I mean, we, we may need to start, you know, looking at this as like a new era, a new era. Yeah. A completely new era. And, and really, and it should be now because there's no more suffering. You know, we won. Yes, it, it should yes. be a completely 
new, different line of thinking. No more dread. No more worrying. No more here we go again. None of that. It, it's all over. I, I look back at the show that we did last week, Len, our Eagles Patriots Super Bowl preview, where I specifically said that there's what? It's like Nick Foles playing the way that he played against the Vikings, that it's basically like hitting the lottery. It's like a one in, what, 200 million chances that that could happen yeah. again. Why? Because of the mentality us Eagles fans have had for so, so many years that a continuous, wonderful, amazing thing that we really haven't seen before couldn't happen again. But it did. And it did because of the foundation that has been set and and a culture in a way, which Brian had actually talked about on our postgame show, that culture that is now seemingly the foundation of this Philadelphia Eagles organization. And I think that's really important for us to to really, really think about and have set into our minds that this is, I believe, a new era coming. We have a team. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to say we have a team that's set up very nicely for the future here, Len. And you know we can all dissect it as much as we want, but the foundation is there, and I think it's set for for a few years to come at least. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. Like uh, I mean, I mean that uh, Nick Foles' performance in the Super Bowl. I don't know if it was quite as good as the NFC Championship game performance, but it really wasn't that far off. It was, and, and that yeah. that is a testament to I think. And this is something that maybe we couldn't see the forest for the trees those first couple games after Wentz went down when we were also worried about Nick Foles. And that really is, you know, how much of a difference it makes getting first team reps. And, yes. and maybe this is a thing where, where teams, you know, in the future are like, maybe we do give our backup a little bit of reps with the first team in practice so that you don't have that two games of like, okay, God, we have to get used to you know, what's going on here, and, and he's going to you know struggle for a few games. Because it, it really, like, once he seemed to lock into that comfortable groove and, and got those reps, he was the Nick Foles that we remember from the 27 <laughs> touchdown, two interception season. Yeah, yes. Oh, and and it made all the difference in the world. Yeah, such a great point. And it leads us to the last part of this Eagles discussion here this week, and it's bringing back our take-it-or-leave-it segment, our, our take-it-or-leave-it story. And like Len said, it comes from uh, one of our Twitter followers, Jesus, and he says, take it or leave it. Nick Foles is the greatest quarterback in Eagles history. And Len, I can say... Right now, at this very moment in time, because that's what this take it or leave it is about. At this very moment in time, when you take a look at quarterbacks, what they do in, in, in throughout a season, how they grow, how they develop, whether it's a quarterback like Tom Brady or whether it's an older quarterback like Steve Young, uh, you look at the wins. You look at the Super Bowls, the postseason. You, you want to look at whether or not they inevitably brought you a championship. Nick Foles helped to bring this team a championship. He called Philly special himself. He called it on the sideline. He wanted the ball. I would think at this point in time, I'm going to take it because he helped provide a championship to Philadelphia because in the end, I think that's all we want as fans. So, I don't know, maybe maybe you think a little differently about this. Nick Foles, greatest quarterback in Eagles history at this very moment, and that could change once, you know, if Carson Wentz gets a championship, if he wins a Super Bowl. Um, I, 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 
I think the way that Jesus is presenting this is in that vein of what has the quarterback inevitably done for the team or helped to, yeah. to get where to get the team. You would want to look at stats, of course. It's Donovan McNabb. But I think in terms of what he is specifically referencing after the Super Bowl win, I would say that Nick Foles is at this moment the greatest quarterback in Eagles history. So I'm going to take it. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, and and it really is uh, kind of an interesting way to think about the question, um, the way that Jesus presented it. Uh, and I, I have a take that I don't know that many people are going to agree with because I, I was having this conversation with somebody when we were up there. I'm, I'm not sure if it was you or not, but um, I, I don't think time uh, and, and legacy are going to necessarily be kind to Donovan McNabb. I mean, this was a guy that was kind of, you know, the fans were always kind of like, eh, like personality-wise, you know, not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, he has had, you know, a couple issues, I think, um, post-career in terms of being in the news for the wrong reasons. Yep, yep. Um, and that may, that may stain things. But to me, look, Nick Foles is the author of the greatest moment in Philadelphia Eagles history. And that is something that uh, really I don't know if it will ever be taken away from him because there is only one – first Super Bowl. You know what I mean? There's only one first <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. And that belongs to Nick Foles. And it belongs to Nick Foles uh, it's just from the quarterback position for all of eternity. But to me, I will come back to the cumulative career. And it's not just numbers, but it's those years of uh, let's be honest. I mean, yes, they didn't win a Super Bowl during that run. But the McNabb era Eagles had a really great amount of success when you look yeah, at wins and losses. too. Yeah, yeah. So for that reason, I mean, look, I, I you know, I'll love Nick Foles forever, and if I ever run into him, whatever beer or <laughs> meal he wants is on me. Yeah, <laughs> but I—I I, I mean, it, it, and it is—it's the most amazing moment in Eagles history. But I can't let that overshadow the entirety of the body of work of, okay. of McNabb. So that's I'm still going to go with McNabb. Okay, that's fair. All right. Could keep talking about this Eagles Super Bowl win the whole entire podcast show, but we are going to get on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get on to our next story here on Brief News and Views. Story two. There was an interesting article written recently by J.J. Cooper of Baseball America and coming up with a potential new system to help alleviate from, from tanking in Major League Baseball. And he called it basically a tank tax. And one of our, uh, one of our friends over at ThatBallsOutOfHere.com, John Town, wrote an article about this as well. So if you haven't heard about this yet, the tank tax, it's relatively simple. Same draft system continues to exist for Major League Baseball teams. The worst team gets the first pick, second worst team gets the second, etc. With one caveat, any team that fails to win 70 games in back-to-back seasons would face a 10-spot draft penalty. So basically, the tank tax would work similar to the luxury tax in that the the penalty increases if a team fails to reach that 70-win threshold in consecutive seasons. This would then lead to a 15-game penalty in the second consecutive year, and so on and so on. And, Len, we know that Major League Baseball, in certain cities, of course, certain cities that are wanting to rebuild, has not been very competitive. I mean, we've certainly seen this in the city of Philadelphia with this Phillies organization. They're rebuilding, and they're doing it methodically, and it is taking some time. And while it has, you know, quote, kind of hurt the competitiveness of the game to an extent, especially in the NL East, um, you know, this is 
you know, baseball teams are doing what they should be doing to help rebuild their organizations, to help get them back to the postseason and inevitably, hopefully, the promised land with a World Series. So let's kind of get into it here. What do you think about this potential, you know, tank tax that, you know, there's some holes in it for sure. Is, is, you know, there, there, there's definitely some issues with it, but I wanted to get your first reactions about this. It's a very interesting idea. Um, you know, absolutely an interesting idea. However, you know, you're going to be asking, because who's going to vote on this? It's going to be, you know, I'm sure uh, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, right. is going to have some input into it. The and owners. his only bosses are the owners. Yeah. And the owners are, there's a lot of teams out there that, that aren't, you know, there, there's plenty of teams that are competing. But yeah, this is the new model now, and there are plenty of teams out there that are not competing. The, the Marlins are literally going to be lucky to win sixty games this year. Right. Um, the Pirates, our, our our buddy Jay, who's a Pittsburgh sports fan, if there's one person he could wipe off the face of the earth, it would literally be Pirates owner Bob Nutting. Right. I, I know this for a fact <laughs> about him. Yes. Um. You know. So so and and so those you know competitiveness in those cities is going to be down for a while. And it is a new model based on the Royals and the Cubs and the Astros, how they built their teams. They did all this stuff. The Phillies kind of did this too. And, you know, I think the Phillies are further along now, so they're not going to, you know, they're not where the, the Marlins and, and the Pirates are going to be, right, right. you know, way down, or the Tigers way down at the bottom. But, you know, they're still coming out of it. And, and you know, there, there's a very good chance that they don't have a winning record this year. Um, it's a very interesting idea because I don't, I've been listening to a lot of MLB radio since the Super Bowl has ended, and you really, I don't think you understand, if, if you haven't been following, how big an issue this seems to be becoming between the Major League Players Association and, and the owners. I mean, right. this, is, this is becoming a big, big deal, because if you did your top 20 free agents uh, coming into, the, into this offseason, I would say a solid 15 of them are probably still out there. I mean, if the Phillies wanted to make a run right now and spend some money and really make this team a wild card contender, they could do it. Yeah. They could get a couple arms and they could probably get another bat and really make this team possibly even a, a title contender. I'm, there's that much talent wow. still out yeah. there. Yeah. I, so, I, I mean, and that's, that's not just the Phillies. There's, a, there's other you know, middle of the road teams that, that could definitely do that and, and really increase their chances. And it seems like nobody's biting yet. Yeah. But with this tank tax, the one thing that I, I, I don't like, which was mentioned in the uh, John Towns article from NatBallsOutOfHere.com, was that you, know, you look at a team like the Mets last year. I mean, you had nearly every single key player on their team was dealing with an injury, which basically caused them to lose 17 more games compared to 2016. Some teams just get unlucky. And we've seen how unlucky the Phillies have actually been and were this past year with some injuries and what happened you know, to their bullpen, what happened to the pitching rotation over the past couple of years. Some teams just get unlucky. So how do you penalize an unlucky team if they happen to go 70 you know only 70 wins in back-to-back seasons you know that kind of yeah that's the whole i think what you would have to do if you were going to institute this is you have to build in an appeal process where basically almost like baseball court so let's say for example the mets that you mentioned could go before major league baseball and say here is our case here are players that got hurt here's how much money they make each year and you know and and say look you know (laughs) this isn't because we're not spending money it, this is just, you know, this is what happened to us. And I think at that point, Major League Baseball would need to say, 
okay, you're, you're absolved because, you know, this is, you know, obviously just like you said, bad luck. Right. I think something like that would have to be built into it. Okay. All right. Now moving on to the next bit of baseball and Phillies news that we wanted to just briefly talk about Mark Appel, the number one overall pick in 2013. He was picked by the Houston Astros. Uh, he is stepping away from baseball. As many of us know that follow the Phillies and the farm system, Mark Appel was in Lehigh Valley over this past year, 2017. He posted a 5.60 ERA for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, and Mark Appel has just dealt with ups and downs throughout his career. He's dealt with injuries throughout his career. And what's interesting is that he has actually said and told Bleacher Report, I don't know what the future holds. I'm pursuing other things, but also trying to become a healthy human. And for me, Len, those last two words, healthy human, in that quote, kind of says it all for me. The guy's body probably just isn't where it needs to be at, of course. And that's why he is indefinitely taking a break from uh, any type of baseball activity. Not just his body. I I would bet that, you know, because, look, if you play sports, I think you're, you know, you're a competitor on at least some level. And I'll bet that, you know, this his career has not gone the way he thought it has. And maybe this isn't just taking a toll on his body. Maybe it's taking a toll on him, on his happiness and his mind. I I really think that maybe – that's a part of it because look, this is a guy that, like you said, you know, he, he was the first overall pick. He got a healthy signing bonus. He's a Stanford graduate. Mark Appel is going to be all right. If he doesn't ever come back to a baseball diamond, <laughs> right? I think Mark Appel is going to do just fine in life. Um, I, I, I really do. So, you know, I, I think it'll work out for him, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for his own well being, his own happiness, I, I mean, I think maybe this is a good idea personally. I would have liked to have seen the Phillies really move him into a bullpen role years ago when they tried him as a starter again and it didn't quite work. I mean, I, I really feel that might have might have helped um, and really just said, okay, focus all your stuff that you do have, and he did have stuff, but focus it all on one inning instead of five or six. Exactly. Um, I think he's one of those guys that would have helped with, but, you know, uh, that's, I guess, water under the bridge at this point. So, yeah, um, I, I think he's doing the right thing for himself. Yep. All right, well, let's get to our next story here on Brief News and Views. Story three. Flyers goalie Brian Elliott has certainly seen some ups and downs this season, and it really goes to the question of what is going to happen with the Flyers goalie situation in the future. We've seen uh, some uh, some Michael Neuvirth this year. Neuvirth has uh, uh, been dealing with some injuries as well. We saw Alex Lyon this past week make his NHL debut uh, didn't he lost his first game did not have the greatest debut but you take a look at Brian Elliott 32 years old uh, he's basically uh, two goalies in one you know there, you've got that abysmal uh, 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 part of October this past year an eight eight I'm sorry 884 save percentage January. 874 save percentage versus the guy who kept the team in games in November and December. In November, his save percentage was 920, and in December, his save percentage was 927. And I I go back, Len, to when we talked about Steve Mason, the Flyers letting him go, kind of knew it was time, knew that it was going to happen. So they bring in a guy like Brian Elliott, and it I don't think they're not the same type of goalie for sure, because they just have two different styles in front of the net. But 
I'm not seeing that much of a difference here where Brian Elliott can really be a difference maker in certain games just because he has been so absolutely streaky. We know that inevitably Alex Lyon is probably going to be one of the goalies of the future, but I don't know. I just, on a nightly basis, I just don't know what we're going to get from Brian Elliott when he's in front of the net. And he's played a lot this season too. And I think we have to, you know, mention that too sometimes the guy is probably just freaking tired because they have run him ragged you know for weeks on end at times so I don't know, what are your thoughts on this yeah i mean he's just you know he just played um in last night's game against carolina and then he and he was great in goal uh they you know two to one overtime win for the flyers he saved 96 percent of the shots on goal um so you know, he was he was stellar in that last night and that's after being, you know, missing the previous four games with an injury, uh, where the Flyers went 0 and four. So he's definitely the best thing that they have in goal. And yeah. and I think that, that, you know, kind of is to you know, maybe to, to Hackstall's fault, you know, he was riding him too hard, I think. I, I really do think that, you know, they needed to kinda you know, pull back a little bit and, and let Neuvert play a little bit more, you know, when, when, uh, when both goalies were healthy, because really what they were doing to, to Elliot was really just riding him into the ground. And it'll be interesting to see how, how he, um, how, what the flyers do here, because in the next you know four or seven days, they have four games, you know, not counting what the game they had last night. So yeah. including a back to back on the 10th and the 11th, you know, so um, on, on the road, Arizona and Vegas. So, is Elliott now that he's back and he, he is clearly Hackstall's guy, is he going to play all those games? Is he going to play three of them? So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they work that, but he is their best option. He is their best goalie. He is, he is yeah. streaky, but, but I, I think he's a guy that I would trust more than anybody else. And, and really, you know, this is a guy that, you know, we complain about the defense at times, uh, you know, it, they have a lot of young, you know, blue liners, but, you know, we complain about some of the defensive pairings and there are two guys on that defense that, you know, everybody wants to see gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're kind of contending with that, you know, yeah. still. So it's not, you know, the best defensive core in front of him at this point, it's getting a lot better, yeah. but you know, that might play into it a little bit too. So I'm not overly worried about Brian Elliott um, on, on this team at this point. I am worried about his usage, but We'll see how that plays out over the next little bit. Yeah, it's interesting to look at his stats last year when he was with the Calgary Flames. What he did in terms of his, the the uh, the record, his record and save percentage after the All Star break, Lynn. Last year, before the All Star break, he went nine twelve and two and had an eight ninety two save percentage. After last year's All Star break, he went seventeen six and one with a nine hundred and twenty four save percentage. So I'm really hoping this Brian. Elliott, who seems to produce and did last year after the All-Star break, is really going to get things into gear here for the Flyers. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to make a, you know, a stretch, you know, run into the playoffs here and and really kind of, you know, improve their positioning, I mean, he's going to be key, but, you know, he's, he he can't be playing every game. I mean, you you can't do that to this guy. (laughs) I know. So, you know, so now that he's back, that is probably one of the biggest things I'm watching for from this Flyers team is, is how much how much run he gets on the ice and, and how he how his body you know holds up to it. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to get re- we're done basically with our brief news and views segment here, but before we get to our up or down segment, wanted to let you know that if you love Premier League Soccer, then you should check out the Loud Americans Discussing Soccer podcast, better known as LADS. 
Two guys over there, Martin and Kevin at the LADS podcast. These are two guys from South Philly, and they are giving their listeners some very honest and some very hot takes on <laughs> on a weekly basis, and they're giving their analysis on EPL and world soccer. You can find them on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and most podcasting, uh, podcast streaming websites if you really enjoy Premier League Soccer. You can also check them out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at LADS Podcast and their website, LADSPodcast.com, for their vlogs. I'm sorry, for their videos, their blogs, and their podcasts. Really, if you like soccer, check them out. Again, Loud Americans Discussing Soccer Podcast. So now let's get to our next segment here. We like doing it just about every week. Our up or down segment. Up or down. Is the needle moving up or down for our picks this week in the world of Philly sports? Len, for you, I'm going to start out with a Philadelphia Eagle, and his name is Jason Peters. Is the needle moving up or down for Jason Peters? Uh, That's an interesting topic because, you know, uh, Vitae, I think, played pretty well in those last two games. Um, You know, obviously, Lane Johnson is going to be locking down one of those um, tackle spots. And, and, and Vitae, I mean, look, Nick Foles seemed to have all the time in the world to throw. Uh, and if you're going to pick one weak spot on that line, it would have been Vitae. Um, however, you know, Peters is Peters. And as long as he's healthy, I expect him to to be back and, and be starting. Uh, I mean, you know more about his contract situation than I would. Is He is signed next year, right? Yeah, who uh, Jason Peters is, yeah. 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 Yeah, so – I I mean, if he's back and he's healthy and he's fully ready to go, I don't see any scenario in which he isn't starting uh, a tackle for the Eagles. Okay. Uh, him and Lane Johnson as the bookend. So to me, um, and it is an interesting topic because it is, uh, you know, a, a guy that is um, that, that was injured for a good part of the year. But yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go up. Okay, sounds good. Who do you have for me? Who's my first one? Doug Peterson, go. Um, no. um, oh, boy, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, I am going to go. Hmm. I'm going to go just because, you know, there. I think I gave this one to you a little while ago, but, you know, the the offseason has still moved on and, and, you know, nothing has happened recently. Uh, what do you think uh, as far as Matt Klintak goes? Matt Klintak. Um, I would say the needle's moving up for him. I think, and, and, and I would say that with him and a lot of the other GMs around the league, they're being strategic about the, about the money that they have in place. You said it earlier, Len. Could this Philadelphia Phillies team put themselves in a really good position to spend some money now and possibly, possibly contend in this 2018 playoff situation once it happens at the end of the year? Yes, but he's being strategic about it for a reason. And I think that if you have a general manager that's not going to be uh, uh, out there with knee-jerk reactions, I think that's good for this team right now, given where they are at. Listen, he did spend in this offseason, for sure, with the free agents (laughs) that he brought in, specifically with Carlos Santana. So I'm going to say the needle is moving up for Matt Klintak because he is being strategic. So, all okay. right, my next and my next one is a Phillies uh, situation for you, Len. The Phillies pitching staff needle moving up or down? Um, to me, it is. Um, I, I I honestly can't say moving up um, because okay. 
uh, look, I expect Aaron Nola to be to be really good this year. I, I expect him to honestly. If there was one guy that I could say I was most confident of being the Phillies' lone All Star selection, if they were to get one, it, it, well, they're going to get at least one. But if it was only one guy, my guess is Aaron Nola because I think he's going to have a good season this year. Yeah, I I hope Eikhoff is is back to being healthy, and I, I hope that you know Velasquez can can go deep in the games, but I don't know and. It's interesting the the topic the conversation we just had about Clentac because where where is the line? I mean, with free agency dragging on this long and this deep, we're literally seven days from pitchers and catchers reporting in Clearwater. Yeah, when is with this market and maybe values are going to start being depressed? When is that line of like, okay, yeah, we are holding off for the future and and we're being smart about it? To when is like, man, this is a really good time to buy. Like, yeah. and when when is like when do we get into that threshold of? man, these guys are still out there and they're probably not going to cost as, as much as we thought or maybe even the years that we thought. Maybe we do it. Like I, 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 That is the big argument for me is are the Phillies treading in, and many teams, but specifically the Phillies, are they treading into that territory with the pitching staff? Because that would, And that's really why I asked the question to you about contact because I think the Phillies may be starting to uh, tread into those waters. Okay. All right. No, that's very fair. So, so down, down very slightly for me. Okay. All right. Who's your last one for me before we get to what we're throwing down on the table this week? Um, well, I'm actually going to go just because, uh, you know, he um, – Obviously, Elliot is back, but you know, since we we saw you know a recent stretch of him, uh, Michael Neuvert. Um. Oh boy, good question. I you know I think Michael Neuvert is kind of in a situation like Brian Elliott to to an extent. I don't believe that Michael Neuvert is the type of goalie that's going to be with this Flyers organization long term, where he is a long term answer, that solid goalie in front of the net. We've seen some good from Neuverth this season, and we've also seen some downs from him as well. And again, a lot of it goes back to the fact that you know, some of these defensive lines just aren't playing the way that Dave Haxtell wants them to or thinks that they're going to be playing. But uh, it, it's streaky, again, with Neuverth. So at this particular point in Michael Neuverth's career and with this Flyers organization, I would have to say that his stock is actually a needle is moving down. Because the Ron Hextall, during this coming off season, and I know I'm already thinking ahead because this Flyers organization and team can actually get into the playoffs. It's still possible for them to get in the playoffs. But I really am very interested to see what happens with this goalie situation and what Ron Hextall, his vision is going to be over these next few years. Brian Elliott, of course, is going to be here next year. But uh, Michael Neuverth, what is his future? I think because it's so unknown and uncertain, at this point, Len, he hasn't necessarily created a case for himself to be around long term. So I'm going to say the needle's moving yeah. down for him. And, and and he does have, I think, you know, in, in the offseason, I think it was a two year deal he signed. So I think he's yeah. under contract for this year and next. But I would I would imagine the Flyers are going to try and move him at some point. Yep. All right. Now let's get to what we are throwing down on the table this week. We got to get into some Sixers talk. We're going to be talking about some in-depth issues with this Sixers team, with this Sixers season, with Brett Stutter from Fansided's thesixersense.com. So let's get to what we are throwing down on the table. And now, on the table. 
We got to get into a lot of Sixers talk this week. There's a lot going on with this team on the court and what has happened at the All-Star weekend. We're going to get into it all. And joining us this week, can't wait to have him on his first time on the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast show from the Sixersense.com. We love that site. Love all the content they put on there on a daily basis. Mr. Brett Studer. Brett, man, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I'm glad, and I will say I have to apologize for my raspy voice because we know a certain uh, situation happened a few days ago with regard to the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, <laughs> and uh, I'm still recovering. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had to pull myself out of the uh, bar at halftime for this very reason. Oh, did Because <laughs> I was already getting the raspy voice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I had my designated driver wife say, okay, Brett, you sound a little raspy. Let's get out of here. So I had to go home and, and rest my vocal cords for this occasion. All right. Well, yeah, I got to tell you, you follow Brett on Twitter at uh, Milroy Eagles fan. And, of course, follow the Sixer Sense as well on Twitter at Sixer Sense. And uh, I'm going to shoot it over to Len first, Brett. He's got some questions to get into the Sixers team. So uh, have at it, Len. Yeah, um, and this is kind of leading up to something that's going to be happening tomorrow. Um, Do you think the Sixers are going to be making any moves before tomorrow's trade deadline? I I know that uh, in an article you recently did, you, you uh, you said you'd like to see them make a move to bring Lou Williams back to Philly. Breaking news, um, he re-signed with the Clippers for three years earlier um, this afternoon. Uh, So I don't know if that is going to be, you know, used in a trade going forward or if that kind of nixes that. But do you think they have enough to give back in return to make that happen? Do you think that's still a possibility? You know, I I almost kicked myself because I think I may have uh, given them a heads up and uh, then they immediately went out and re-signed the guy. Uh, so, uh, shame on me. Um, but I, I, yeah, I thought that Lou Williams would have been a perfect fit. I don't see that happening now, uh, for that very reason. Obviously they believe he's in their future, uh, made a commitment for three years on a team that, uh, you know, you have to question whether or not, uh, they are truly rebuilding or they're going to try that sort of the hedgerow between, um, so I think Lou Williams is off the table, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I, I think that the, the Sixers have an incredible amount of assets. Uh, when we took a look at uh, uh, another guy who's out there, uh, Tyreek Evans, uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies, and uh, the people, the, the teams that are on the, the table, uh, the Sixers have a dominant uh, arsenal of assets to throw. Uh, and uh, despite the fact that a lot of teams are immediately going out and saying, you know, they got to have a first-round pick, the 76ers can place enough protection out there to still be the high hand, uh, afford themselves uh, a uh, first round that may convert to a two-round, two-second-round picks, and still get their guy. So I think that the Sixers have plenty of assets. And uh, you know, as well as I do, Brian Colangelo is a deal-maker, not a drafter. Uh, he loves the yeah. deal, uh, and that's yeah. where he feels most comfortable about. So you have to believe with all of that money in his pocket, it's burning a hole. He wants to do something. I think he will. <laughs> all right. Now, do you, do you think that um, like, with regard to uh, Tyreek Evans, and this is going to lead somewhat into into uh, Jeff's next question because I think it, uh, it involves J.J. Redick. Do you think that that kind of – is that duplicating efforts? Uh, is it, you know, a case of you can't have enough shooters? I mean, do you think that would be a fit having those two on the same team? 
I think it is. You know, I think that one of the big problems that I don't know got enough press is the fact that when Furkan Korkmaz uh, got injured, I think that derailed the entire development plan of the Sixers. You know, they have uh, Timotei uh, Luwawu Kabaro. Uh, they brought in Furkan uh, from overseas. Here were two young guys. They really wanted to develop almost like a, a race against time to see who would show up uh, by season's end as a true wing uh, player for the team. Uh, when Korkmaz went down, uh, of course, they've had to do some things with uh, Cabarro TLC. Um, I don't think that their development plan is on course now. And I think that they now have to start fighting for plan B. So I think that that is what has, A, placed uh, the trade uh, deadline very much front and center for them. And then I think they have to do a whole lot of planning about what they do this off season to compensate for the fact that now Corkmass starts all over again on the development trail. I don't know how comfortable they are with TLC at this point. He shows up. He doesn't show up. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that the uh, organization has some decisions to make. Yeah. And I see, uh, Brett, I, I would really like to see J.J. Reddick come back to this team. And, you know, if, if the Sixers clear max cap room and then sign, you know, a free agent, I worry about what that means for J.J. Reddick's future in Philadelphia. So first, uh, my question for you is, do you do you personally want to see J.J. Reddick back on this team? And two, is it likely that Brian Colangelo can really and just realistically make this happen you know i i do i i think that that, that jj reddick is a perfect fit for the team I, I, one of the problems though that i think i have with reddick's performance so far is he's out there uh 40 of the 51 games so you're getting 75 percent of him right now as it stands I don't think that that's necessarily his fault. I think that what happened was he was supposed to be this, you know, the the starter, and they were going to rotate in Corkmaz, TLC, maybe another player, Markel Fultz, who's never showed up. So he's carried the load, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I don't know that uh, he intended to. I don't know that that's what the team had planned for this season. Um, so I think that, A, I think they have to bring him back. I, I think that there is absolutely no option now. They at least have to try. Uh, but I think that there is so much room in the void of Markel Fultz, Furkan Korkmaz, that there is absolutely 100% uh, of room for another wing player. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they go max on this season for that fact that they have right, other right. young players they want to sign. So I think that there will be plenty of, of room. Uh, and I've also I've read some some articles now that is trying to establish what that free agency market will be, and it looks like it's not going to be as nutsy uh, cuckoo as it was in the past. Yeah, I think that the value of some players out there they're going to have to settle for a little bit less dollars. Um, and I think that uh, Reddick, having had the experience that he's had with the Sixers, I mean, who doesn't want to play with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? <laughs> right, right. So I'm hopeful <laughs> that he'll give us a a home a hometown discount on on his signing. Okay, well, moving into the next question that I had for you, Brett, uh, one of your colleagues at the Sixer Sense, Christopher Klein, we've had him on the show. Uh, he recently wrote a column on what the Sixers need to do to really kind of make this this playoff push, and even to an extent, be, you know, be successful, perhaps, you know, beyond that that first round. And one of the things he talked about in his piece 
was the need. And it's listen, it's something we all know that this team needs to get better at. It's limiting turnovers. I mean, they're currently averaging about 17.5 turnovers per game, highest turnover rate in the NBA. I, I, w- I would have thought that this number would have gone down a bit, Brett, as the season has moved on, but it really hasn't gotten too, too much better as far as I can see. And maybe I'm wrong about that. But listen, I know this is a young team. Turnovers happen with younger teams. But how can the Sixers, as they're moving on here in this 2017-2018 season, limit their turnovers on a game-to-game basis? And has this essentially kind of been a reflection of Brett Brown's you know, coaching and the way that he's developing these guys at this point? What are your thoughts? You know, I... I, I... I hear you, uh, and I agree that turnover is, is it's almost embarrassing at times because it looks like they're, they really don't even have a clue what's going on on the court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's, a, you know, it, it, it's a struggle to be a fan and, and witness that. Uh, but I think that in the hierarchy of you know, what Brett Brown's priorities are, I don't know that he is so concerned about the, free, uh, the, the turnovers. Um, Chris Klein is an excellent writer. I hope that everybody follows him. I hope that everybody reads his stuff. He's such a a, a power packed knowledge based guy. I know he's, he's been on your yeah. your show. Yep. Uh, and he just I mean you cannot stump him. You you can you can go completely off script. Name a name that that might be a prospect in 2019. Hell, he has verbiage on the guy. Um, so when I read uh, Chris's article, I had written one similar to that about a month up earlier uh, about turnovers, free throws, fouls, and the perimeter shooting. So when I saw that the two of us were aligned, I thought, hey, we've, we're on to something. Yeah. But then I started to look deeper at the Brett Brown sort of mojo, what he's doing with the team. And he's absolutely stressing the pace, space, and pass. And so I think that part of the turnovers is simply that hurriedness. You've got a lot of young guys. You've got uh, new lineups all the time. Uh, you've got some guys falling to injury. Uh, people who thought they were going to be bench are now starters. And so there's that um, inconsistency. Uh, this is not a well-oiled machine yet. Uh, you've got some players who have yet to put in a full season. Uh, and so I think it's just that painful growth process. Okay. I, I, you know, I'd like to say, oh boy, you know, uh, here's how you fix that. I think that they can, if they get, uh, I think that some of the wings that we've looked at, um, as far as the free agents or, or for the trade market, I think they can help, but I think it's just one of those painful things that we're just going to have to take this year so that they learn from it and next year we'll be better at it. Right. Right. And I, I would, I would agree with you. And listen, the last thing I ever do on this podcast show is come down on Brett Brown. I think what he's been through with this organization and with the teams over the years that he has coached, that he has done as great of a job as he possibly can. He's a developmental type of coach. And I think that there is a certain level of patience that we still need to have. We've had it for a lot of years, of course, but we still need to be patient because this is a young team that is getting ready to grow. And I think I'm wondering what our level of patience is going to be when Len gets into this uh, next question with you. So, Len, take it away, my friend. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is uh, this is the thing that I think everybody's waiting to see here. Um, so, you know, you wrote a piece a couple days ago uh, saying that Markel Fultz needs to be on the court right now, and, and particularly uh, as a defensive player and defensive presence. And I, I agree with you 100% that he can step in and help immediately from a defensive standpoint. But do you have any worry still about his shot or more importantly, his psyche and his confidence? 
You know, I don't have any worries at all about Markel Fultz. What I do have worries about is the translation of what he does on the court when he first arrives to the fan reaction, to the media reaction. This guy is under a microscope, absolutely scrutinized. Every time he sneezes on the court, they wonder, oh, is that a twitch to his shot? So, you know, I think that there is just this intensity of oversight on him. Um, I followed Markel Fultz. Uh, you know, I actually cover the Washington Huskies as well. So I've had the opportunity to follow him throughout his college time. And one of the things that was so striking about him is the fact that he is an artistic presence on the basketball court. He had a, a kind of a program where Lorenzo Romar, his former head coach, basically said, the basketball court's your canvas. Paint me you know, a masterpiece. And he did. Now that he's in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers are struggling because they want to schedule that mastery. They want to trigger that repetition of his moves so that on demand he can execute the same move in the same way to the basket each and every time. And that is absolutely not what he has brought to the NBA. He creates. So what we have with him is almost like somebody who's riding a bike for the first time and somebody shouts out, hey, you're doing it. And then the kid falls over because he's looking at the fact that they're riding a bike and they tumble. That's what Markel Fultz is trying to work through right now, that consciousness of how good he is because up till now it's all been instinct. Now they're trying to coach him into a repetition. Hey, let's, let's kick that in into overdrive right now. And I, I think he's now learning how to get that ability to do that. Um, so it looks ugly, you know. Uh, I mean, he's he's conscious of his feet. He's conscious of his hands, his hips. It's just looking rather not pretty. Uh, but I think he'll get there because he truly has that artistic presence within. And I think when he gets his discipline and his artistry on the court at the same time, I think there's going to be some incredible magic. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because, uh, I mean, if you follow any Sixers beat writer on Twitter, I, I mean, I've never seen a guy where more people are looking at pictures of him shooting jump shots in practice, and it's like, well, it looks better today, or, oh my God, this is not the same shot I saw in college, or, or just whatever it is. It, it, it's just been crazy to kind of follow this whole thing and see people's reactions to it. And uh, that's why I kind of asked the question just from a confidence and psyche standpoint, because so many people, you know, and look, he's on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure he's aware of what's going on around him. Like I, I always wondered kind of how much of an effect that has on him. You know, I think that the, the, uh, one of the standouts was when he was in um, the, the back at the Huskies and the team wasn't doing very well. He was heading into the draft, and the media tried to make create this rivalry between Lonzo Ball and himself. Uh, of course, Ball bit. You know, he's out on Twitter, and he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, dominate him and and yeah. the pros." And and Fultz just came up with this very mature, almost matter of fact kind of, "Yeah, you know, if you're in front of me, I'm gonna beat you to the basket." You know, in the story, he didn't bite, and I think that that pretty much reflects where he is mentally. He's a very strong-willed, confident young man who has up till now not been in the spotlight. I mean, his time at the uh, Washington, he could go anywhere, and nobody would stop him, ask for his autograph, even knowing he was a top draft pick. I think that now he's under the scrutiny, and so the Eagle or the, the Sixers are trying to protect him from the media 
in a sense of, of you know kind of sheltering that barrage of scrutiny uh, to the point where he gets confident enough that he can deliver on the court. Okay. And one last thing before I move on to my next question, um, just your your opinion, your your gut feeling. Uh, how long do you think before he is on the court? <laughs> you know, I thought that he would have been on the court by now. Uh, okay. At this point, you know, I, I'm I almost I almost hope that they keep him off the court. Uh, although I'm arguing that he has to get on the court in order to break through uh, the barrier of the mechanics. I think that, uh, in all honesty, I think that I don't know how much he can deliver for this team for the playoffs if they put him out there now. I mean, you're, the window's closing rapidly, uh, and I don't want him to get out there and then become, you know, the heel of a of a yeah. loss in a in a postseason game. So, yeah. uh, you know, I I I I wish they had handled it differently, but you know, we've committed to him being on the bench. We did it with Simmons. We did it with Embiid. You know. Hey, maybe they are into something. When they yeah. actually do deliver the guy, maybe he's going to be, you know, a, a triple double weapon uh, like Simmons. Yeah, it, it really is a fascinating conundrum at this point with does he play or doesn't he play? Um, but kind of moving on here, um, you know, we're a couple weeks out from the NBA's All Star weekend. Uh, ben Simmons has been snubbed as an All Star replacement for Kevin Love uh, with Miami's uh, Goran Dragic uh, getting the nod instead. Do you think this is the kind of thing that could ultimately be beneficial to Simmons, you know, maybe kind of lighting a fire under him to prove the decision makers, in this case, you know, the NBA coaches, wrong? You know, I, I you know, we've got another opportunity. Uh, Przingis just went injured, uh, so now yeah. they they have to fill his slot. And um, I think that uh, there's, there's kind of two uh, schools of thought with this one. One is, uh, I'll go with the, 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 the dark side first. One is, I think that it's not a matter of him getting snubbed snubbed. I think that uh, a lot of NBA rookies who excel get snubbed. I think that the problem is who they snubbed him for. When you got, uh, you know, Gordon Dragic out there, uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, that was Walker, my thought. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Dragic <laughs> just doesn't do it for me, man. Uh, so, you know, I have to I have to think, what were they thinking? Um, but we've had that with, you know, Carson Wentz not getting MVP, with Doug Peterson not getting Coach of the Year. So these things happen, and and I don't know that necessarily uh, that lights the fire. You know, if there was a fire that was going to be lit to that magnitude, you'd think that it would have been when Ben Simmons came out of the LSU program, went to the NBA, sat for a year, and had to endure an entire season of trolling where people called him a bust, when people said Brandon Ingram's the pick, what the hell were we doing? So, you know, I think that by this time – He's a seasoned veteran from that standpoint. Yeah, I I think it may make his you know when he has an actual play against one of the players who was selected before him, it might be a little bit sweeter when he makes the you know the dunk. But as far as you know, some sort of wow, he'll kick it into overdrive. Yeah, he's he's a triple double machine. How much higher can he kick it in? You yeah, know, uh, he's he's really good. He's really good, and I think that that's just where he will be uh, okay. this season and for his career. Yeah, and to be fair, when I ask that question and say you know light a fire under him, I'm not saying he's you know currently you know loafing by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I just think that there are still a few <laughs> levels yet that he he's still going to improve. And I was just kind of wondering if that was like you know what kind of makes him almost go into fu mode and just be like, all right, I'm I'm just going to destroy everybody, you know. Uh, a, a little bit quicker. Well, you know, 
I, I think he saw that in that the, the first game right afterwards, where he just dominated. I mean, he oh, was yeah. like crashing he the did. boards. He yep. was, you know, hitting every shot. And I think that was his signature statement right there. I think he was saying, "Hey, you know, you guys, you effed up. You 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 bypassed me." Um, you know, there are times uh, I probably don't want to go down this path too far, but there are times that you'd almost like to see Simmons be a little more aggressive on the shooting, on his play. I get that he's a facilitator, but my gosh, when he turns it on, doesn't he just look like something special out there in the basketball? He's a freight train, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, we are talking to Brett Studer from thesixersense.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Milroy Eagles fan. And we've got a couple more questions for you, Brett, and they're specifically about one of our favorite Philadelphia athletes, and that is Joel Embiid. And I wanted to get into Embiid and his defense with you. I mean, specifically him struggling to defend the pick and roll a lot as of late. I mean, there are times when he just kind of looks lost out there, but overall his defensive numbers and stats, you know, they've been, they look really good. They've been pretty great all season. So two part question for you here. Why do you think he's been struggling defensively as of late, specifically with regard to the pick and roll? And two, do we have something to be worried about in terms of this huge component to the Sixers defense? You know, um, one of the challenges with kind of GPSing the performance of Joel Embiid is that he is such an incredible talent on both sides of the court that it's hard to gauge when he's just having a bad day or when you've got some systemic issue. Um, I'll throw it back to the fact that he's only been 72 games into the, the into his career, uh, so well, he's young and yeah. he's learning. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and 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 the guy. Is I mean I've seen him go uh, you know block at the basket I've seen challenge shooters out at the perimeter. Um, the problem with Joe Embiid is that he takes everything to heart. That whole defensive responsibility is his personal responsibility in his mind, and I think that sometimes the assignments, defensive assignments, get a little confusing because let's face it, he doesn't have a stalwart group out there each and every night. Um, there are times when people just blow up the Sixers on their shooting, just go ape on us. And, and you know, yeah, I think that yeah. that really ticks Joel Embiid off. So I think he sees enough, and then he says, okay, you guys aren't doing it, I'll try to. But I think that that stretches him a little thin. So I agree with you. You know, I think that he has got to understand his optimal usage. But this is something that he had as a problem in Kansas. Uh, when you take a look at the scouting reports, they say that he tries to do too much. And the Philadelphia 76ers, he's still trying to do too much. Uh, I think it's something that as the, the roster matures, as the lineup he's involved with matures, gets a little better defensively, I think that that will start to settle in. I would really have loved to see Markel Fultz and Joel Embiid play a season together. I think that those two would just be oh dominating defensively. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Markel Fultz with those quick hands as a as as the guards drives into Embiid, looking at the man mountain in front of him, he just snatches <laughs> in, grabs the basket, and takes it the other way. Yep. So you yep. know, I guess we'll just have to wait for a season for that one. Yeah, we will. We'll have to wait for it. And we got one last question for you, Brett, and I'm going to throw it over to Len, buddy. Go ahead. All right. Well, on the topic of Joel Embiid, you know he's you know going to be pulling double duty at All Star Weekend. He's playing in both the Rising Stars Challenge, you know, along with Simmons and, and Saric, and the um, actual All Star Game. 
So with all the care that this organization has taken in managing Embiid on the court, you know, does all this activity in our water exhibition games, does that give you any pause at all? You know, I, 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 I'd like to have a very quick, easy answer, and the answer is really easy after it. You know, if, if he goes through and he's not injured, great. If he comes through and he somehow gets tweaked, then it's, oh, my God, what the hell were they thinking? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I think that Embiid has to play. You know, one of the, the problems with having somebody that valuable is the – almost the subconscious desire to just shroud him in this protective bubble and then say, hey, you know, you only come out when we want you to and save him for those key moments. But we can't tell what those key moments are. He's still young and he's still learning the NBA. What a great opportunity for him to feel the almost playoff-like pressure. Um, uh, he's one of the best ambassadors of the Philadelphia 76ers that we could imagine. Uh, we've got free agency coming up, so we've got to put him into that kind of situation where he can build relationships and maybe attract free agents, maybe turn heads, maybe put people in the mindset of, hey, I'd like to play with that guy. Did you see what he did? So, you know, I'd like to bubble wrap the guy. I'd like to put him on this shelf. I'd like to save him <laughs> for the playoffs and then just come out and just, you know, kick some tail. But I think the reality is, I think that one of the, the, the responsibilities that we have to him is to let him play through his passions, and he wants to be on that court. He has earned the right. Who are we to deny him? So, you know, i I got to, you know, stick it back in the genie bottle, all those worries and concerns. I have them, but I think that we just got to let Joel Embiid be Joel Embiid and do his thing. Yeah, I mean, it really is kind of like, you know, you, you just bought this really nice, expensive car. And you're kind of afraid to drive it because you're afraid to, you know, take it to the supermarket because you don't want somebody to, you know, hit it in the parking lot or or just something like that. It really is. But but then why did you buy the car? You know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you've we've we've got a, a, a sports car. We've got to drive it. We, we've got to let it be driven. We got to let it be seen. Uh, you know. I, I think that Joe Embiid is is he's a phenomenal talent, and I think that that he has to have that kind of experience. Um, you know, else why would he play at, at such a dominating pace? Once you get that taste of, hey, I'm I'm competing against the world's best, I think that that takes him to the next level, and I think that he's almost there. Yep. All right. Well, it's going to do it for us this week here, Brett. And you, my friend, have been a phenomenal guest on this show. So again, for our listeners out there, follow Brett on Twitter at Milroy Eagles fan. And you can also catch his work on the SixerSense.com. You can follow the SixerSense on Twitter as well at SixerSense. So Brett, we are looking forward to having you on again in the future, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Jeff. This has been awesome. I love yeah, talking really Sixers. Fun. You know, and I've got all my coworkers, and they're just kind of tired. They've owned me out now, so and I have a new set of to, to talk it out with, and uh, that's good therapy for me. Well, we will be you bringing go. you back for sure, my friend. You could tell how much passion Brett has about this Sixers team, Len. It was so great to talk to him. I mean, there are some good things happening with this team, and he is extremely optimistic. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and I really kind of like his his thought process, especially regarding Markel Fultz, um, yeah. you know, because there is that kind of duality in terms of, you know, he, yes, he, and his reasons for wanting Markel Fultz on the, on the court 
are 110% valid in, in, in my mind. Oh, absolutely. And this, is, this is a guy that, you know, I've said, you know, just shut him down for the season. And I think Brett kind of maybe agrees, you know, at this point where we are in the season. Okay, at this point, is it worth it? But, um, but yeah, I mean, all the arguments he makes for wanting him on the court right now are, are you can't argue against. Exactly. All right. Well, that is going to conclude this week's Philadelphia Sports Table podcast show. Thanks for sticking around with us. Thanks for dealing with my voice here. And uh, hopefully I will be back 100% next week for our table talk show and our regular show. So if you haven't already, go over to tpublic.com. Check out our storefront there. Search Philadelphia Sports Table. You'll see our designs. You can order yourself a t-shirt, a mug, a hoodie. We greatly appreciate it. You can uh, you can show off the Philadelphia Sports Table to those uh, friends and families, uh, members of yours. We'd appreciate it. Again, tpublic.com. Search Philadelphia Sports Table to get all your t-shirt designs. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Find me on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Warren. You can find Len on Twitter at Len Hunsicker. And, buddy, do you have anything else before we head out this week? I do not. No? I was, I'm was. i still going to say fly, Eagles, fly, because I'm still well, on a high. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that goes without saying. Absolutely. So, all right, everybody, take care, and we will catch you next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.